This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do. Welcome back to the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast, the podcast about all things horse racing, some history, some handicapping, and some humor. As our listeners know, tomorrow is the Belmont Stakes, the culmination of our annual Triple Crown journey. While, unlike recent history, we won't see the actual Triple Crown on the line, we nevertheless are looking at a competitive Belmont Stakes and a compelling race card on Saturday. So we're fortunate to be joined by none other than well-known New York Racing Association analyst, as well as Horse Racing Radio Network host, the Beast of the Belmont, Anthony Stabile. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. You got it, Bill. My pleasure. So, Anthony, we know you're a New York guy through and through. You literally grew up at the racetrack, I believe. So the Belmont, we know, is near and dear to your heart. It's certainly produced some memorable performances and some incredible upsets, actually, at some amazing prices. So before we talk about Saturday's race, what are your favorite Belmont memories and scores? You know, it's funny, Bill, my two favorite Belmont stakes, I wasn't in the building for them. Uh, in 1989, one of my favorite races of all time was when Easy Goer, uh, the better of the three-year-olds that year, the best three-year-old that year, beat up on uh, Sunday Silence and the rest in the 1989 Test of the Champion Hearts, I believe, 30 years ago. I live in Howard Beach. I live in the same house my entire life and about a mile from Aqueduct. And uh, we used to get a lot of, when it rained a lot, we used to get flooded in my basement. I was down, I lived down in my basement and uh, had a flood and went to New York City OTB about a mile from here to watch the race and put in a $5 cold triple with Sunday silence and La Voyageur. So I hit the triple and my dad... My dad hit the triple for a, a, a lot of money, and he promised he'd make it up to me by taking me to the Travers to see Easy Goer, and that was one of my first trips to Saratoga. So I did weasel my way into a great uh, 10-day Saratoga <laughs> trip by missing uh, Easy Goer, but that's one of my favorite races, if not my favorite race of all time. You know, just him asserting his dominance and his brilliance, uh, what could have been with a better rider, uh, and maybe no mud on Derby Day at Churchill Downs. Who knows what would have happened. Uh, and then in 2014, 25 years later, Tonalist. Uh, it was a photo finish that goes to Tonalist over Commissioner. I made an awful lot of money that day. Um, and Tonalist was one of my favorite horses as well. I had touted him pretty heavily. I was only on HRRN for about five or six months at the time. And he was like the first real tout. You know, he had, he had won the Peter Pan and good for a good month is all I kept telling people was I hope for, for a week I said I hope California Chrome gallops in the Preakness and he did and I said I'm going to really just step out on Tonalist in the in the Belmont and the funny thing was one of the one of the one of the first like big bets I gave out at HRRN I told everybody to make a parlay close hatches in the FIPS onto Tonalist and now five years oh, yeah, later right right Close hatches, little boy, first <laughs> fold, 
Tacitus is uh, nine to five, and I think going to win the 151st Belmont Stakes. So, yeah. yeah. So, Tonalist is an interesting one. I was there that day, and uh, I was, you know, I and I knew from listening to you before that that was, you know, one of your 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 favorite Belmont memories, and I, I did want to hear some more about it. Uh, is my question, Anthony? Did you use California Chrome at all in any exotics in that race, or did you completely toss him out? You know, I did, Bill. So I, I play cards on Tuesday night with a bunch of uh, guys that have a few years on me. And they're casual horse players at the very least. So uh, the way I wiggled my way into the card game was by giving them that exacta. And <laughs> when I gave them the bet, I said, uh, you know, what do you guys want to bet? And everybody was like, oh, well, if we invest $200, what should we do? I was like, well, bet 100 to win on Tonalist and make uh, $25 exactas with Commissioner, Ride on Curlin, not one of my finer <laughs> moments, uh, Wicked Strong, and there was 25 bucks left. And one of the guys, my friend Mark, said, well, what about uh, the favorite? I said, I guess you could use California Chrome, but I don't really like them. So... Mark Spielberger is the reason I threw California Chrome in uh, to give – just in case he, he okay. ran um, – <laughs> in case he ran second. But I, I really didn't like him. Um, I, I don't, the only reason I hit the triple with Metal Count third was because I hit the all button, thankfully. <laughs> um, but the exact to pay $348 and, um, yeah, we made a lot of money. I was a Mohegan Sun – it was uh, it was a it was a great day, and it's, you know it, it was weird because throughout his career, you know, I was always a Tonalist fan, and then in 2015, his final race was the Naira Mile, the Cigar Mile, formerly the Naira Mile. It was the Cigar Mile, and I had been going through. Uh, it was a it was it was a few rough months. Uh, I had a collapsed vocal cord that had stopped me from working for about three or four weeks, and. My beloved New York Mets has just gotten beaten up pretty bad in the World Series. And I don't know, it was just like kind of, uh, I, I was just kind of down on a lot of things. And, uh, you know, if things really weren't going anywhere after a couple of years of a lot of forward progress. And I wasn't feeling good and my throat was bothering me and I couldn't really talk. And I was really, I was getting down on things. And uh, he won the Cigar Mile. And I remember that day just the 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 spark was relit and uh didn't bet a dollar on him that day i choke up thinking about it because if he don't get up that day i don't know if i would have continued on the path and then right after that you know it's funny what these horses can do to you um so he um i owe him a lot and not just because he made me an awful lot of money five no. years ago. No, I think you, you raise an interesting point, Anthony. I think the people who don't know our sport, don't play our sport, don't appreciate the effect these horses and their performances. And, and, and actually, your point about not even having a bet on them, um, just the the effect they can have on you. You know, we all have our, our moments, um, up and down moments, you know, and uh, – Look, I don't think there's a horse player out there who wouldn't say that, uh, you know, they were lifted at one time or another in their lives by, you know, something that they saw on the track that they, you know, you identify with the with the heart or the grit or the effort or whatever it is. Um, it's it's there uh, and it's real. Yeah, no no question about. It. I went down to uh, went down to the Breeders' Cup this year, 
and got a chance to see him for the first time in about four years. And oh, man. Well, I guess about three, about three years, I went over to Lane's end and yeah, it was a, I, I got to see him and I got to see funny side. Um, and I was, I picked funny side in 2003 and I wrote a column in the New York post for three weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont as funny side. I was funny side's voice. So it's, uh, that was a real, that was a real emotional day for me. And, it reminds you of just uh, how special they are and, and, and what they can do for you. For, you know, forget about financially, but I always say horses are good for the soul. And yeah, it was a it was a pretty emotional day. And you know, with the good comes the bad. Um, I, I don't think I've ever walked out of Belmont Park more upset or defeated than in 2003 when Funny Sides bid for the Triple Crown was foiled by. Uh, a 57 and two breeze on Tuesday and Empire maker on Saturday. Um, yeah, that sloppy track didn't help either. The highs and lows, and look, you know, it, there's a Green Day song, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Man, you could have, you could have said that about Hempstead Turnpike for almost four decades. Horses came in there and, uh, you know, remember just how the place thundered when real quiet turned for home. I was sitting in the Belmont Cafe and the place was literally shaking. I remember looking around saying to myself, this building's going to fall down. This thing's going down. Um, and I had only felt that way in the, during, in Shea Stadium during the 86 World Series, like where the building, you could feel the building rumble. Um, and it didn't do that for Silver Charm, but it did it when Real Quiet turned for because I think everybody thought Real Quiet was in the barn. 2004, I had the privilege of sitting next to Ron Turcotte for Smarty Jones, him and Stewie Elliott, because they were both Canadian, had, had developed a friendship. And earlier, um, in between the Preakness and the Belmont, Stewie, at my only back page of the New York Post, Stuart Elliott, uh, Ron Turcott told me, he had told Stewie that he thought Smarty was going to win by 25 lengths and that the, the poll was going to come into play to the point where Tom Durkin went and walked off 31 lengths and put a piece of blue tape on the rail so that he would know where it was, uh, and, you know, for Birdstone to, to, to gun, I've never heard that place sound more like a funeral home. I was there that day, and that day. I will never forget how it went from, I think there were 120,000 people there that day, Anthony, I think I have that right, and you're right, it was, it was as loud as could be, I, I you know, I was down on the apron, uh, probably at the top of the stretch, and you couldn't hear anything, but as the horses were going by, it was just an incredible roar. Uh, and then they crossed the finish line, and in an instant, right? It was like flipping a light switch. Just yeah. it was amazing. It was the most. And I'm sitting next to Ron, uh, and Ron's Ron's screaming at the top of his lungs. We were sitting at these tables on the second floor in the in the clubhouse at Belmont, and and Ron's smacking the table. And like, you know, he, and, and again, you know, he's like, he's raising himself up out of his wheelchair. Come on, Stewie. And he's smacking the table. And, you know, I'm, I was doing the diary for the post with Stewie Elliott at the time. And Stewie was great. But the funny thing was, I had talked to Lee Tomlinson. For Lee I, I had talked to Lee earlier that week and I talked to Jerry Brown from Thoroughgraph and they told me the only two horses, they, they both said this in, in, in separate conversations that the only two horses they thought could win the Belmont besides Smarty were Eddington and Birdstone. And I loved Eddington. 
I made a big bet on Eddington, but when I made my pick fours, I, they were in the back of my head. I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'm going to use Smarty, and, but let me throw Birdstone in. So my dad and I make a little bit of a score, right? But I'm riding, I'm riding the, 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 the roller coaster with, with, with Ron, and I'm, you know, I'm staying professional about it. And I just remember I went down to, to the jock room to talk to Stewie to get a couple of quotes for the diary, and I got a couple of quotes, and I went upstairs, and I banged my story out. And instead of taking the elevator down, I ran down the steps of the press box to get all of the energy out. I had lost a bunch of weight at that point. I had lost like 130 pounds over the course of that year. And I remember just running down those steps yelling, yes, 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 because I, I had a bunch of big four tickets in my box. So, you know, it's it's that's the other. I mean, it's the beauty of the game, right? You just you, you ride the uh, – you ride the roller coaster, and I, I think this is going to be a really fun Belmont Stakes. I think uh, I think you have a couple of real good storylines in here. You got War of Will coming in, and, and if War of Will can find a way to win this race, I think there'll be an awful lot of what ifs, an awful lot of what ifs. Uh, what if he gets through on the first Saturday in May? I think that uh, I, I think he definitely grabs the division lead, and I think he sparks a very very big debate. Um, as to what happens on what would have happened if he got through on the first Saturday in May. Um, you know, you got Tacitus, Bill Mott looking for his second. Uh, Judd Mott has an, an, an impeccable record in the Belmont Stakes. Of course, I'm, you know, Empire Maker in 2003. Aptitude was second in 2000. Hofburg ran third last year. There's a couple others. Um, but, you know, they've had great success in the race. Um, you know, Todd Pletcher. I mean, Todd Pletcher, who's had a quieter five weeks on the Triple Crown Trail than the guy that usually dominates as far as runners, uh, amount of runners go anyway. And I saw Todd at the, at the draw at City Field Tuesday night, and I said, how happy have you been the last five weeks? Very few people bothering you. You get to sit here with a drink. Johnny's on your left. Javier's on your right. Nobody's coming near you guys. I said, you must be loving this. And I think he's got, you know, Intrepid Hearts, a half the commissioner, and he's blinkers on. And Johnny had a really tough time picking. You know, Todd basically told Johnny, pick. And he stuck with Intrepid Heart because he's ridden him in all his starts. But spinoffs got the wise guy look. He had Javier Castellano as the, you know, he Javier was going to ride whoever Johnny didn't choose. And now he's got Javier on spinoff and, well, spin and Javier kind of like the wise guy horse in the race. Uh, you know, Todd's won three of these. It's, it's in his backyard. He's, he's moved <laughs> too, right? The Derby, then the don't run in the Preakness, and then run in the Belmont, right? That's that's one of his moves. Right. He's run like 54 horses in the Derby. I think he's run seven in the Preakness. So that's his, this is his MO, right? Master Fencer, ja the Japanese uh, had horse making up a ton of ground at the end of the Kentucky Derby. A lot of good storylines in here on Saturday. You, there's a couple of things about this race that are really interesting to me, and one is that uh, – you know, look, War of Will, uh, in an odd way, the Kentucky Derby was really good for the sport with the 25-minute disqualification discussion, the controversy, should they or shouldn't they? I think it sparked it. I got more questions from people, non-fans of the sport, after the Derby than I had had, you know, in the previous probably 10 years combined. So I think that controversy has been good, and a War of Will win would certainly kind of reignite, I think, some of that uh, conversation. But... One thing I noted is that 
uh, Tyler Gaffleone, the jockey on War of Will, has never ridden in the Belmont on, you know, the mile and a half circuit on the dirt. And my experience is that experience matters on this layout, right? Are, do you have any concern about War of Will that, you know, Tyler might be fooled into moving too early? Because those turns, as you well know, they're, they're, they're huge and they are, you know, they're riding on a part of the track in the early part of the race that they don't ride on the rest of the year. And that's just not for you see, yeah, th- and that's the thing. I did this, I did the math really quick the other day. If I'm right, there are four two turn races run at Belmont every year. The flat out, which is the prep for the Brooklyn, that starts at the 11 furlong pole, which no other racetrack has in America on the dirt. Um, that starts at the 11 furlong pole at a mile and three eighths, a very short run into the first turn. Um, the Brooklyn. The Belmont, and then the Temperance Hill Invitational, which is in a mile and five eighths, which I think they had put in place for the Breeders' Cup Marathon, and then they got rid of the marathon, uh, which is a story for another day. But the, those are the only four two-turn races because even the Breeders, uh, the Jockey Club Gold Cup, that kind of starts on the clubhouse turn. So that's a it's a weird. I don't really consider it's like a turn and a half. It's not a two-turn race. Um, a lot of these guys don't. I talked to Joel and Javier. I talked to Joel and Jose Ortiz last week. Joel Rosario and Jose Ortiz on Sunday uh, to do a feature for HRN that you'll hear on Saturday during our broadcast. We're on from 5 to 7.30 on Saturday. The undercards 2 to 5. I'm going to host that with Steve Grabowski. And then Mike Penna takes over at 5. Um, you can go to horseracingradio.net and get all of our uh, broadcast info for the, for the test of the champion. I was talking to Jose and Joel, and they were like, well, you know, we don't really ride them a lot either. And I was like, hmm, he's, they're right. They're right. What Jose said was the difference is the turns, right? Most places you get to the far turn and there's three-eighths of a mile to go. Well, when you get to the far turn here, there's a half mile to go. And the three-eighths pole is midway on the turn. So guys and gals will turn their horses loose midway on the turn, forgetting that there's three-eighths of a mile and thinking there's a quarter of a mile or so. When you spin off the turn, you still have essentially a quarter of a mile. It's a few less than a quarter of a mile to go when you straighten for home. So that's why you see a lot of guys and, and gals hit, hit, hit E on the gas tank at the eighth pole because – they just, you know, they shot the moon too soon. And that's where you can get lost, I think, when you get towards that turn. Because Jose joked to me, he goes, Anthony, there's a big 5 eighths written on the 5 eighths pole. You really shouldn't get lost. But, you know, I'm hoping that these guys, that these jocks aren't looking at the pole at the 3 eighths pole. I would hope they're looking ahead or looking down and, you know, worried about switching their sticks as opposed to reading the, uh, the road signs. Uh, but, you know, to his point, when the action begins, you got to know where you are, right? You got to know how many outs there are in the inning. You got to know the count. You got to know all of these things. And, you know, I, I think that's where they can get lost, uh, you know, with Tyler. Now, Tyler, you know, I have been very critical of Tyler. He's going to get a base on balls for me for a while because he saved our sport on the first Saturday in May because we've been in a lot of trouble. If, if, if that horse, if there's a spill, if somebody goes down and, and, and you know, they, they, they rack up five or six horses in the Kentucky Derby with everything that's gone on this year, we're probably all out of business. And I don't, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have a, a much, I don't, my skill set anywhere else is not that big. So I got to, I got to keep this sport going for the next 40 years at the very least. Um, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, you got to worry. I think you worry about anybody coming in here that doesn't ride here a lot. Uh, and that's not just for the Belmont Stakes. That's for anything. Because I'll tell you what, they might not have too many two-turn races here. They all got to deal with that far turn. We don't run any straightaways. They all got to deal with that far turn. And you can get lost again. You know, that's why Belmont, that's why Big Sandy is so demanding on horses. You got half-mile straightaways and quarter-mile turns. And the races out of that shoot, you know, that's why when, like, I'm, I was, I'm the biggest Songbird fan that ever lived. When she won the FIPS off that layoff, I don't think people realize just how impressive that was. She had to run in six months, four and a half yep. furlongs of straight, of dead run. It is dead run. Um, so, you know, you got the four furlong straightaways, you got the quarter mile turns. You don't see that anywhere else. In America, you see it up at Woodbine on their turf course, but, you know, the mile and a half races up there are rare. So, hey, Anthony, uh, you, now you mentioned you like Tacitus and, and I was looking at the race last night and, you know, one of it doesn't always pan out. But one of my biases, and I think is generally uh, among a lot of people, is that closers have a very difficult time in the Belmont. Right. So that that's always you know, kind of one of the operating principles I go into looking at the when I when I'm looking at the race. That being said, I I got onto Sir Winston last night and I was looking at his races, not just the Peter Pan because I think everyone's going to look at the Peter Pan and say, "Wow, what an impressive closer!" And that was an impressive close. But if you look at his Tampa Bay Derby, um, that to me was almost even more impressive because from the top of the stretch in a mile to sixteenth race to the the finish line. He was running straight as a string and faster than anybody else. And when you look at the gallop out, he was he was past uh, Tacitus. And gallop gallop outs can be kind of tricky to read, right? But um, I got to say, I, I was predisposed to not give this one a chance. But when I watched the replays, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe. I have him third. Um, I've liked the source since he was a two-year-old. I've been watching this horse for a long time, Bill. Um, I put him in the mix in the when he was here this past winter, and uh, I got a little side eye from my man Andy Serling on <laughs> talking horses. I, I can't see that from Andy Serling. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and he ran. He ran fourth in the Withers. He was running a little bit late, uh, and then he ran well in the Tampa Bay race. You know, no offense to Keeneland, but. Unless you unless you think you could be laying one two three, I wouldn't run my horse in the bluegrass. Uh, and this horse, I, I don't know what he was doing in the bluegrass. I I, I would have stayed the course and came to the wood if I was Mark, but he didn't. Uh, and then you got to love and look his big run. He's going to love Belmont Park because the turns are going to be more forgiving on him, and he's got the long he's got the quarter of a mile in the stretch. So he's supposed to love Belmont Park. And in a year where I think you can question a lot of these horses really wanting a mile and a quarter, let alone a mile and a half, he's the kind of horse that should get a – I would be surprised if he didn't get a piece of the pie on Saturday. I think he'll be – I think he'll be in the try, maybe even uh, – you know, I think he could sneak into the exacta. And if it really falls apart, if it collapses, I think we've seen stranger horses than Sir Winston win the Belmont Stakes. I think Tacitus is the goods. I, I'm not uh, – there'll be no backups for me. There'll be no – this is a this is a tonalist kind of play for me. This is Tacitus on top, singled and everything. And then I'll try and get War of Will out of the number. Um, 
Bourbon Wars, another horse that interests me a little bit at a price. He's now he'll take money because of Mike Smith. But what makes Mark Hennig as good a trainer as he is is the fact that he put the blinkers on for the Preakness. They did not work. He ripped them right off for the Belmont. He reached out for Mike. You know, I, and these horses, the closers, you know, are, are, except the horse like Sir Winston, who just seems to not have any early speed, they'll mm-hmm. all be a little closer because they go slow in this race. And, you know, Tacitus is not without speed. And, you know, even Bill said to me yesterday, Bill Moss said, you know, I was kind of surprised that Country House and Tacitus are where they were. I thought they'd be <laughs> flip flopped. You know, circumstance, yep. circumstance. And um, that's why people complain about those outside draws in the Kentucky Derby. I don't want to be in post 20. I'd almost rather be in 20 than five. Hey, Anthony, uh, real quick, because I, I do want to be conscious of your time. Um, you know, the Belmont, it, it's going to be a, a very exciting race, I think. It, and, and I think there's a lot of opportunities there. But the the Met Mile, that to me, I've been telling people, this is this is multiple Ali's versus multiple Frasers in this this race. I, that to me is the the highlight of the day. And it, it's it, it's hard to, to pick one out in that one, I think, right? Yeah. I really like a horse in the Met Mile this year. <laughs> As loaded up, I mean, it's a loaded up race. And I'm not saying I have to be right, but when you go through the race and we talk about all of these contenders, you know what the best part about this Met Mile is? We've been talking about this race for about eight yep. weeks, right? And it is very rare in this game that you talk about a race for this long and you hope and pray that these horses get there in one piece and then they all get there in one piece, yep. right? It's just the the probability and we deal with a lot of odds in this game probability says it's not going to happen well it happened um you know mckinsey i'm not going to say i think he's overrated but i think he's been an opportunist i think that's a good way at the very least um i think he's been in the right place at the right time and you know bob baffert's barn's not going bob baffert way right now um it's a little quiet over there for the silver-haired fox uh, Matoli keeps running through his alleged ceilings, right? Oh, can't go seven furlongs. He goes seven furlongs. Well, he can't win from off the pace. He wins going seven furlongs from off the pace. Um, all right. Now it's like, uh, you know, now come on, come come to where the buildings get bigger on this side of the Hudson and, and, and let's do it in the crowd, you know? Okay, so you get him. You know, Thunder Snow. All right, two for two, Dubai World Cup. He's run well here in America, save, uh, you know, the uh, the dressage dance in the Kentucky Derby two years ago. Uh, he's run well at Belmont Park, you know? I, I, you got to respect him. I want the horse that doesn't have to answer any questions about it. And that's Forenze Fire. I want the horse that doesn't have to answer these questions. The horse that's a grade one winner at Belmont, who ran arguably the best race of his career, not winning a grade one in the Dwyer, and then ran the, one of the fastest races of his career last year in the in the, in the run, last time out in the run happy. He is a horse that is, and again, we talk about this, the turns of forgiving. It allows horses that have a late run to start their run. It doesn't really the, the turn doesn't really get in the way of a horse like this who gets his motor going at the three eighths pole when most horses are going into the turn. He does it when he's on the turn. I think he comes rolling late, and I think we see a real big performance. I'll use a couple of horses like with Tacitus as a standalone. I'll use a couple of horses protectively against him, but if we can find a way to make this. Forense Fire, Tacitus, and the Met Mile and the Belmont Stakes. Well, I, I'm with you on Forense Fire. I was there last year, on July 7th, when he ran that that huge race. You know, uh, 
at the mile. And uh, I, I, I agree with you about McKinsey. An opportunist, I think, is a good way to put it. The other one that I am interested in, um, just because it was one of the more impressive races of the entire year, I think, was is Colfront. I worry about the trip back from Dubai, but that effort that he put forth at Oaklawn from the 14 hole to you know out sprint the field very fast early and and last you know that entire distance that to me was one of the most impressive races i've seen all year dubai bothers me the return from dubai bothers me and i'll tell you why bill i don't love his draw what's he do from in there you know we saw mind your biscuits uh you know i, I don't think there's too many people that, that don't think mind your biscuits was a better horse than b jersey but you know, it was circumstance last year. Biscuits had to work his way off the rail, and, you know, Joel did a great job doing it. But, you know, all of that jockeying for position, no pun intended, does that make up a half a head? Yeah, it probably does. Uh, where's this horse going to be? If they got to use him early, you know, he's going to run into Matoli on the front end. Because, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just he's a nice horse and everything. I, I just think he might be up a little bit against it on Saturday. The, the, it's interesting. So the draw is the one thing that, that concerns me. I know over the last five years, the Dubai bounce has not been anywhere near as, uh, as, as deadly and as dangerous as it was in the first decade and a half with the horses coming back from Dubai. Uh, I think our trainers have learned to deal with it a whole lot better. Um, but with that said, they're individuals. These horses are individuals. And I think it's something that, you know, if, if, if this horse was in post seven, I think this conversation would be very different. But he's got that rail. It's a tricky position if I'm on par from them. It's going to be tough, on the race no like doubt. This. Hey, Anthony, like I said, I, I do want to be conscious of your time, but I do have to ask you one question. Uh, you, one last question. You mentioned... I knew you were a Met fan. You you had to mention the 86 Mets to me, this lifelong Boston Red Sox fan. But uh, I'm going to ask you, you're a, you're, your Mets have one game. You got one pitcher, right? Are you going to go with Tom Seaver, Doc Gooden, or Pedro Martinez? And I'm only throwing Pedro in to mess with you, by the way. It's really, it's really between Seaver and Gooden, I think. Because I watched it as a kid, I didn't see Seaver in his prime. And because it would bring back an awful mm-hmm. lot of good memories for me, All right. Dr. Okay. K. All right. I don't think you look – I think you would – you know, that's one of those 50-50 questions, really. And it's probably generational. I think that's a good that's – that's a good point. Well, listen, Anthony, thanks for joining us. It's been a terrific discussion. I enjoyed uh, – and I, ho- I hope our listeners enjoyed your Belmont memories – like your analysis, like all of us, we're looking forward to the Met Mile. So uh, have a great day. Great Belmont Stakes Racing Festival weekend, and thank you very much. You too, Bill. Good luck to everyone out there.